It's just like she has no diaphragm, and, and, and that's where her voice is. Her voice is completely powered by her little chest. Everybody has a story, and not all of those stories are clear black and white issues, even when we think they are. We wonder, how did this happen? Or what is that like? Or what happens next? Are you sure you really want to know? This is Ignorance Was Bliss at IWB Podcast. Welcome to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. This is a horror and true crime podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm Alexandria Youngray with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Milan. <laughs> Milan. <laughs> Thank you for that lovely introduction, Alex. Hello, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> oh, um, podcast stuff. So I think this is going to have to be a two-parter, partially because... I thought I was going to be able to do all of this research in time. And you weren't. <sighs> <laughs> Sorry, did I ruin your punchline there? No, no, you told exactly what the thing is. I told the truth. Yep. I uh, I try to make things not be too complicated, and then it is. Yep. This is my bad. People don't think it'd be like that, but it do. It'd be like that. It do. <laughs> So yeah, at some point, not yet, because holy balls, this is just such a big project, we want to have our next series be on the prison industrial complex, mm -hmm. which is so fucking complicated. And expansive. Take so 82 expansive. shots. <laughs> I don't know if my liver will be able to handle the drink that is the it's complicated for this particular series. Yeah, I'm a little bit concerned, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, it's it's really big. And, you know, I've I've got, I had an outline that I, mm -hmm. that I outlined like a year ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I've got this outline. And then I started going into it. And I was like, shit. I can't just talk about this i have to talk about this and this and this and this and this so basically like i had um i had the privatization of prisons outlined mm -hmm. but you can't talk about prison like the prison industrial complex without talking about slavery and the history of prisons and racism and the well i've got a little bit of the war on drugs in there but not enough well, that should be in there as well though that's the problem you're right it's very it's some of the most massive possible issues and they're all connected by yeah. the issue that you chose. Yeah. And and also like the war on crime, which is kind of like a pre-war on drugs that mm -hmm. um, probably doesn't need like a whole fucking... Well, I, I shouldn't... I should never say that it's not going to be that complicated. Yeah, we don't know. We don't know. Don't risk... Don't take that risk. As soon as I start researching something, I'm always like, ah, oh, fuck. Oh, kind of like this. It's complicated. <laughs> so I was like, okay... Well, 
we're going to start on this because it's a really good like intro mm-hmm. because it kind of it kind of brings up all of the problems with the prison industrial complex without really like expressly it's a good case study on the over on the basic problems yeah okay cool it, it's kind of a good summary without it being everything ever right that's great we don't need everything ever right now yeah so that's in the works it's coming yay yay <laughs> so today we're gonna be talking about the attica uprising the attica prison uprising uh-huh and which i only know because people chant attica when yeah. they are unhappy with their circumstances but i i don't really know more about it beyond that yeah like i know it relates to a prison uprising i guess all right, so let's start the Attica Uprising. All right, let's start the Attica Uprising. But again, because I'm me, I was like, oh, what a great introduction. I could totally do an episode on this and it'll be a great introduction. And then I was like, fuck, this is really big. So. I can do a nice two episodes out of that. It's going to be a two-parter. <sighs> okay. Prison time. Prison time. Time for prison. Ugh. So, these episodes are going to suck. I'm ready. Okay. They're nice and big and heavy and and big and heavy. Great. There's a little bit of, like, hope in them, but it's just enough to squash your hopes and dreams. <sighs> okay, great. Yeah. Which great. is why which is why I was like, let's make sure that we focus on self-care before we do these episodes. <laughs> yep. Yep. I didn't do enough chores today, but I did relax and... Eat lots of chocolate and drink lots of coffee and crochet a bunch. So I'm ready, I suppose. Okay, good. <sighs> I hope everybody's ready. <laughs> All right. So Attica, it's it's built in rural upstate New York, kind of near Buffalo. Okay. And it was built all the way back in 1931. At the time, it was the most expensive prison ever built. And... There's a little bit of, like, history of prisons, but mm-hmm. we're not going to get into that until we actually get into the prison industrial okay. complex. But again, like I said, this is an intro, so just sort of, like, keep all of this in mind, like, this whole story in mind when we do get into the prison industrial complex. Right. You know? This is a good, yeah, because it's a good example of a lot of things we're going to be talking about mm-hmm. in the future. And it's going to be, and it's going to be relevant to all of the things that we talk about that are before and all of the things that we talk about that are up until now. Perfect. You know? Cool, yeah. So it's a great introduction, and also in the fact that it squashes your hopes and dreams. Great. Yep. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So it was the it was the most expensive prison ever built at the time in 1931. Mm-hmm. It cost about nine million dollars, which in today's money would be 150 million dollars. How much do prisons cost today? Like, is that is that about on par? Or, I'm like, actually like- not sure. How much does it cost to build a prison? Eight million. Wow. So 150 million is a fucking lot. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That damn. That's a lot. Woof. Woofy. Woof. 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 Okay. <laughs> Sorry. God, I'm I'm a sassy pants. Okay, so I wrote in my outline, the prison uh-huh. was designed to mitigate slave, sorry, inmate uprisings. <laughs> sassy pants. Now, do you say slave because you're, like, referring to what would come and the indentured servitude that takes place in prisons? Or are you talking mm-hmm. about slave? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 
That's so, what I thought. But then I wasn't sure if there was just like a racial component in Attica that I was unaware of. I mean, there's also a racial component, but you can't separate the two. Yeah, well. It's but complicated. Mm, mm, drink. <gasps> so, da, 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 da. so that's the overhead of Attica. Mm. Okay. Helpful. So, so like I said, the prison was designed to to mitigate uprisings, mitigate riots, mitigate that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And this is a design feature that we'll go back to when we're talking about, like, the history of prisons. Okay. But basically, each of these four cell blocks, you see mm-hmm. how it's kind of sectioned off? In that very center square? Mm-hmm. Yeah. They were self-contained with their own yard. Yeah, I can see that. Okay. And and it was designed so that basically you could you could connect them all with like uh-huh. a, a middle hallway, but you could also shut down the halls mm-hmm. and like separate them. And that way if one like uprising or riot breaks out in one part of the prison, you can kind of lock that down crazy so that that was literally like built into the design of the prison huh all right that makes sense yeah and then beyond that the whole prison was surrounded by this another huge wall, wall. Yeah, yeah and you can see that in the overhead as well and it was uh it was concrete mm-hmm. fully all the way through it was two feet wide concrete dang 30 feet tall holy shit and then it it, ex- it extended underground 12 feet Wow. So it was like the unget throughable wall. You cannot escape this prison. Damn. And then on top of the wall were 14 gun towers. And you can see some of them, you know. Yeah, yeah. Dotting. Because you need 14. Holy shit. 14 gun towers. So yeah, this is a maximum security prison. Apparently. And it's fucking nuts. So let's see. In three of the cell blocks... Each cell was three walls of solid concrete, right? Mm-hmm. You know, front yeah, yeah, or yeah. Uh, back, back and sides. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the wall facing outward, like to the catwalk, mm-hmm. was entirely made of iron balls, bars. Iron balls? Iron balls. <laughs> iron bars. Yes, iron bars. That makes more sense. Yep. And then in the fourth cell block, they were all, it was, it was still concrete on the side, concrete on the back, but there was a small window. And then the front wall, instead of being bars, mm-hmm. was just a big old metal door with a small grill opening. Oh. So that was basically your, Solitary. Like, solitary, exactly. And then later, a fifth cell block was built in 1956 mm-hmm. called Cell Block E. And that has the Division of Vocational Rehabilitation. Mm-hmm. That was meant for people with disabilities. Okay. So it was like a specialized unit. Right. And because it was like built later and it was totally separate, it's not really involved in this story. Okay. But it does but, exist. you know, kind of giving you an idea of what this prison is set up like. So this was modeled after the early 19th century New York prisons, mm-hmm. which, again, you know, we're going to get into this in the history of prisons, but this is an introduction. An introduction. The idea of these early New York prisons, you know, the 19th century New York prisons, was rehabilitation through work and silent introspection. Okay. So like a convent? (laughs) Kind of. Only like you're forced to be there. Right. Obviously you're forced. 
Yeah. So in this model, the... So in each of these cells, there was a bed, a toilet, a stool, a small table, a two-door cabinet, and a sink that only provided cold water. Okay. Warm water was actually only provided in the evening. They'd bring a bucket of warm water that was meant for washing up, shaving, whatever they needed warm water for. Yeah. And that was that was what was in that cell. Yeah. But this six by nine foot single occupancy cell in the original purpose of the prison was only meant for sleeping. Okay. The rest of the time you were supposed to be working. Right. You're supposed to be out like working. Out of your cell. Yeah. Working in silence, introspecting upon your crimes. Right, right, And right. being re- rehabilitated. Right. right? Mm-hmm. So by the 1970s, rehabilitation was long forgotten concern of the criminal justice system. Oh, yeah. Like, by 1970. I'm not surprised. I mean, honestly. Fuck this shit. Yeah. And, uh, well, the purpose of Attica by this point, and pretty much any other correctional facility in the entire country, was to securely house prisoners in the prison. Right. Just keep them it locked was, down. Yep. It was the only purpose for a prison was to keep a prisoner in it. Right. And beyond that, it didn't matter. It wasn't for rehabilitating... It wasn't for it wasn't for prisoner safety. It wasn't for any better social cause. It was to make it so that we knew that these prisoners would stay in their cells for the like entirety of their sentence. Oh, agree. Uh, okay. So, so basically, by the 1970s and throughout American history and now and blah blah blah, we'll get into it later. Prisons would take people out of society and make them miserable for however long their sentence was, and then throw them back into society, but with less than they had before. Sounds about right. Yeah. It's, it sounds familiar, doesn't mm-hmm. it? <laughs> so that's kind of the, the, the background of what the prison is like, mm-hmm. but let's get into the actual conditions, which were not oh, good. Oh, yeah. Let's get into those terrible prison conditions. They were pretty bad. So, like I said, in the original design of this building, these small cells were meant to be slept in. Mm-hmm. And that's it. I think that the only time, originally speaking, that you weren't out of your cell working for pretty much the entirety of the day was Sunday. Right. When it was like, you would have a sermon delivered. And so there was still kind of something. Yeah, there was still something going on. Mm-hmm. You know, you were never meant to just be in your cell. Yeah, that sounds so bad. In 1971, prisoners spent most of their time in the cells. I feel like that's immediately, like, asking for trouble. Yeah, not great. Just as far as how people so, begin to behave under those circumstances, like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So most days it was up to 16 hours a day in your cell. Oy. Yeah. And new arrivals were in their cell 20 hours a day until processing was complete, which took 48 weeks. Wow. Four to eight weeks, not 48. I don't like that. It's not great. It doesn't get better. <sighs> so during the week, inmates spent, you know, eight to 10 hours out of their cell. Most of that time was spent working or in school. 
And school was required if you had less than a fifth grade education when entering the prison. That Which seems was fair. Not entirely uncommon. Yeah. Well, that's also a theme, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, basically, like, being uneducated, being poor, being a person of color, like, all of these basically marginalized statuses will affect your... Likelihood of being imprisoned? Yes. <laughs> yeah. We'll get into it. Because it doesn't increase your criminality, I can assure you that. <laughs> so, the rest of the time, when you were out of your cells, was spent eating, you know, that you go- cafeteria or whatever, yeah. To, yeah, you go, you eat, you go to work, and then you maybe got an hour or two in the yard, weather permitting. Right. And this is upstate New York. So, weather doesn't so it's permit. So, fucking, yeah, it's brutal as shit in the middle of winter. And then on weekends, the time was a little longer because you weren't expected to be working. Right. That makes sense. Always. Not always, anyway. So so maybe you'd get five hours in the yard. That's nice. Yeah. <laughs> a nice little yard to spend five hours in <laughs> before you go back to your cell for the rest of the day. Rest of the day. Yeah. It's uh, something else. So then in your cell, you could talk to your neighbors until 8 p.m. They'd lock you in at 5.30. And then you'd get a couple hours of, you know, you're allowed to talk. That said, it got super fucking loud because all of your, you know, your back and your sides are concrete. Concrete. So it's echoey. And so you're just shouting to your neighbors because you can't fucking see them. Yeah. And then everyone's just shouting to their neighbors. It's just loud shouting. That's the communication system. And then after eight, it was mandatory silence. Yeah. And then lights out at 11, although the prison radio ran until midnight. You could get a hobby permit for craft material if you were on good behavior. And basically, it was like, you know, crocheting or whatever, yeah. and you'd bring it into your cell and you'd yeah. work on that. It was something to do, you know, reading. You could also work on your defense using the law library. And we'll actually get into a guy that was that was all about that uh, in the next episode. Yay. But you had to copy the law books by hand because they weren't allowed outside of the law library. Right. And you could study. That was what you could do in your cell. Well, Yay. I'm just keep on thinking about how this is going to compare to uh, modern prison systems. And I feel like, you know, spending your time working and reading and studying and a little bit of time outside doesn't sound that bad compared to what I'm sure is coming. Well, this, this mm -hmm. gets worse. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. I think, I mean, really, the problem with, like, yes, you can read and study and do something. And that was, but that was only good behavior. Yeah. If you were on good behavior, you could apply for a craft permit. You know? Yeah. But being stuck in this one cell every day. For almost all of the day. For years. Yeah, that seems torturous. Yeah. It's, I keep on thinking about the time. It's actually really fucked. Yeah. <laughs> you kept on thinking about what? Oh, I was conflating the times, like, before the 70s, when, you know, they spent most of their time outside of their cell. I'm like, oh, if you spend most of your time outside of your cell working or in the library or like oh. you know and then can get a hobby and things like that i was like that doesn't sound too terrible like but 
recognizing that that kind of stuff comes with spending a majority of your time in your cell is really sad and sounds torturous. Like that is, yeah, that's a very small space to spend most of your time. And I think that has to mess with you on a fundamental level. Yeah, I think that's exactly what it is. In like a not productive way, just in a punishing like yeah yeah self-defeating kind of way where they're probably going to come out feeling crazier than they went in or more criminally Mm -hmm. compelled yeah and i mean that's the response a lot of the times to to hearing about bad prison conditions is like oh well prison's not supposed to be fun and it's like honestly i'm not supposed to be fun but it's supposed to be productive (sighs) yeah well and also like i'm pretty sure that taking away somebody's freedom is enough of a punishment to be a punishment, you know? Right. It doesn't like, mean that they can't have mental simulation to... when they're there either. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Because, like, you know, saying, like, oh, we should torture people for years when they've committed a crime and then just hope that they're fine when they go back into society, that does nothing for the criminal, like, rates. No, it doesn't. Well, and I think, too, people just really don't want to show any kind of empathy in that area. But I guess my point is, you know... Outside of the fact that I think that's an area where empathy is deserved, uh, mm-hmm. it's not even just about that. Like, even if you're like, okay, yeah, bad people, or when people break the law, they're bad, and so they deserve to get punished, which could mean torture. Even if you believe that, ultimately, still, the goal needs to be making society safer. Mm-hmm. And so, and it doesn't. yeah, this and it doesn't, and exactly, it does not. not. So, so then what's the point? Even if they, even if you believe that people deserve to be treated like this and that it's morally justifiable on any level, what's mm-hmm. the point? Because you're not making the people who you say are good safer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. So like, <sighs> I fully believe that we should think about prisoners as human beings because they are fucking human mm-hmm. beings. And so we should treat them with the respect that a human being deserves. And and I don't think any human being deserves to be tortured. Yeah. But also, if you're like, if you're like, fuck that, they committed a crime, fuck them. Well, you can't keep somebody in prison for the rest of their life for like petty drug dealing. Yeah. So can we at least try to do something to make them less likely to commit crimes when they leave prison? Yeah, so they don't just end this up going back. This is not how. Yeah, and this is not so how you those, reduce recidivism. Right, and even if you don't care again about whether or not the individual ends up having to go back to jail because of their own poor decisions or whatever, again, wouldn't you want to limit the amount of crime that's potentially happening in any given community? So yeah, no, you want to like at the, like on a, on a both like ethical humanitarian level these prisons are wrong and on like a societal making the world a better place for non-criminal people these prisons are wrong yay we're only at the beginning (laughs) we are we are not even kind of done with the with the first section that is conditions (laughs) so um so blah 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 back to like the work stuff most jobs at the prison were prison upkeep assignments okay so they were things like janitorial work and laundry and kitchen and that sort of thing right right? pay was 30 cents a day and what year 71 that does not sound sufficient it was not sufficient 30 cents a day is not enough money 
I did the calculations for how much 63 cents a day was, and it's $4. $4 so a week. So 30 cents a day. It's $2 a week. Is $2 a day. Oh, $2 a day. So that's $10 a week in today's money. Wow. Yeah. So even back then, we were pretty much actually exercising slave labor. Yeah. Yeah. And and we'll get into that again when we talk about the prison industrial complex. But something, something, the 13th Amendment ratified slavery. Right. Except for but, when it applies to prisons. Yep. Exactly. Except for as punishment for a crime. And it's, and it's in the 13th Amendment. Because you can't let go of slavery. Because you can't let go of slavery. And honestly, we're going to get into this when we get into the prison industrial complex. It is as part of our society as slavery was in the South when we were fighting over whether or not we can get rid of slavery. Wow. Yeah. That's a crazy perspective to put it in, though, for sure. Just to think about it for a second. It was like how we pictured the South during like the peak of slave times is how we live in the United States now, but Mm -hmm. with prisoners. But it's everywhere. And it's everywhere. Mm -hmm. It's everywhere, and it's easier to dehumanize them because we think of them as people who have done something wrong. Well, people who have done something against society, right? Done something to harm the group. And Mm -hmm. on a very, very basic level, that's the thing we care the absolute most about as human beings, is if we perceive somebody as a threat to the group, right? So if somebody in charge can tell us that, well, fuck them. Yeah. And we'll we'll get into the over-policing of these communities when, you know, when we get into the, yeah. you know, prison industrial complex. But it's so much more complicated than do the crime, do the time, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. It's so much more complicated than that. But, but yeah, they, they got paid about 30 cents a day, which is slave labor wages. Yes. You know? Mm-hmm. And, um... The most desirable, uh, the most desirable jobs, quote unquote desirable, yep. went to exclusively white inmates. Oh, yeah, of yeah. course, because racism. Um, I think, yeah, exactly. I think that there was like, like I think laundry was considered a more desirable mm-hmm. job, and that was mostly black inmates. But but essentially, most of the desirable jobs went to white inmates. And most of the least desirable jobs went to the black and Puerto Rican inmates. Yep. Makes sense. So while Attica was a maximum security prison, we talked about, you know, the ridiculous walls and shit. Right. Yeah. No one's getting out of here. (laughs) Yeah. Only about 62% of the men in Attica had been convicted of violent crimes. Hmm. So we had a lot of low security risk offenders in Attica. Right. Yeah, I mean, 62% is more than half, but as far as the number of people that puts in Attica that, like, didn't even do anything violent, and then, mm-hmm. I'm sorry, but there are degrees of violence, too. Does everyone yeah. who commits a violent yeah. act really need to be in a maximum security prison? Probably not. Right. I mean, somebody that's just in there for, like, a basic assault because they had punched one too many people. Yes. <laughs> punched one you too know, many they people. Had a, they had a drug crime, and then they also had an assault. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically, like, quite a substantial percentage of not maximum security prisoners were in this maximum security prison. Yeah. And also, just think about what that what that implies, you know, mixing the two. 
like you've got extremely 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 violent offenders and dangerous offenders with drug users yeah you know yeah that's a valid point yeah and like um robbery is a violent offense right you know yeah that's a that's a violent crime stealing somebody's purse yeah you know and (laughs) that's not i'm gonna fucking shank the guard to escape the prison kind of a crime Right. that's not like i murdered a whole family of people while robbing their house and yeah. yeah yeah so so it's just like that part is pretty fucked yeah then so in 1971 Attica had a prison population of about 2,300. Okay. And 54% were black, 37% were white, and 8.7% spoke only Spanish. Most of that population of Spanish speakers being Puerto Rican. Okay. So they were all Americans. Yeah. Just, you know, some were Puerto Rican Americans. And offer... eh, Officers actively discouraged racially mixed socializing amongst the inmates. Yeah. Yeah, because that's what you do. Yeah. So basically they would they would um treat white inmates like they would lose certain white privileges for socializing with non white inmates. Why would people need to, like, make sure segregation still happened in a prison system? Like, what is that achieving? I mean, I'd say because it's 1971, but I'm sure that this kind of behavior still happens today. Right. It seems like just, it's hard to not feel like the only advantage to that is to increase, specifically intentionally increase infighting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I honestly think that, like, that segregation mind was just sort of still there. And I'm going to do more research on it. Uh-huh. I, I don't know. You know, I haven't done the research for this part of our podcast yet. But from my own knowledge, I am aware that it is still kind of a thing that, you know, when you go to prison, you kind of do have to self-segregate. Right. But it's just so fucking gross and wild to me that basically the segregation was actually enforced by the guards themselves. Right, that's so crazy. Back then, you know. Yeah. Like it makes me wonder if if that self segregation would be the case now. Oh, probably not. If it hadn't been enforced back then, I would assume not. Yeah, that's crazy. So, so that was you know that was like the race blah blah uh-huh. blah. Eighty percent of the population had not completed high school. That also makes a lot of sense based on yeah. parallels with our modern prison industrial system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And like there's actually a huge statistic on um literacy. Mm-hmm. A lot like it increases or decreases your chance of like criminal behavior and getting caught and imprisoned for crimes. That makes sense. Whether or not you're literate. I mean, that's a pretty fundamental skill to be able to support yourself in any kind of non-criminal context, so... Yeah. Yeah, and, like, uh, getting back to, like, you know, the prison industrial complex and, like, background and stuff, um, basically the two 
the two social theories on on crime that are the most probably true mm-hmm. <laughs> are um I can't remember the names of them. This is going to go into the the research for the show itself. But they're being friends with criminals or being treated like criminals. That's what's most likely to lead to criminal activity. mm -hmm. And also free time and unsupervision. Okay. And youth. Stuff like that. And so if you look at, if you look at that, if you are, if you are unemployed. Yeah. If you are unsupervised because you don't have the money or the, like, network for after-school activities yeah. or stuff like that, um, then, yeah, your, your, your criminal behavior goes up. Right. That makes total sense. You know? And, and so it's, it's not that, like, poor people commit more crimes. It's just that poor communities have a bigger problem with crime. Right, because there's more people with time on their hands. Like, there's more people with the risk factors that lead to crime. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what I was trying to say. Because I don't want to reinforce any stereotypes that encourage this system. Yes. While we're doing this For sure. Series. For sure. <laughs> and so I am not saying that poor people commit more crimes. I am just saying that poverty leads to factors that have to do with criminality. Right. A poor individual is not necessarily more likely to commit a crime, but a community with a lot of poor people is more likely to suffer from crime. Yes. Yes. That. Yep. So, um, so many of the rules in the prison kind of felt arbitrarily and unevenly enforced. Mm -hmm. And that's because they were. So there was a rule book, but it was rarely given to new arrivals. And there was not a rule book in Spanish. Recall, almost 9% of the population only spoke Spanish. So they were just fucked on knowing so, what the rules were and how they were going to be enforced. Yeah. And, like, that's a pretty big chunk of the population. Right. That's a really big chunk. Well, like, you're just making your job harder at that point, right? Mm-hmm. If 9% of the kids I worked with didn't know the basic expectations that I had for them, like, coming into my group, that's enough to make it be a yeah. problem. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's almost... It's almost like it is exactly like these people were set up for failure. Yeah. Um, one of the most common punishments for breaking the rules was being keep locked, which was being completely confined to your cell. Ugh. Solitary confinement. Ugh. Which is... Proven to be torture? <sighs> not yet considered the torture that it needs to be considered, right. but it's fucking torture. It is actually torture. Solitary confinement is torture. There, I've said it. Hot take. Hot take. (laughs) Hot take. And also, rules tended to be racially enforced. Which again. You know, from confiscating contraband to randomly upturning cells in contraband searches. They were more racialized. I mean, I guess that makes sense when you consider what was going on at the time. The racism of the the guards. Yeah. The racism of the guards. The whole, like, don't be friends with this black person or I'll take away your white privilege. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Then, (sighs) yeah, and it's, oh my god, I'm not done. I'm maybe, like, halfway through? Mm, Not quite halfway through. Oh my god. Yeah. I'm not done. (laughs) So, if you wanted to visit your family, you could see them through a mesh screen. But you still had to be strip searched before and after, which included a cavity search. Ooh. 
Cavity searches are awful. Yeah. No bueno. And and you were seeing them through a mesh screen and you still had to be strip sh- searched before and after. Yeah, that's ridiculous. Um, for the most part, you could only shower once a week. Mm. Which is fucking disgusting. Yeah, that's not enough. And and that was an issue for for the prisoners. They they were fully aware that that was some bullshit. You were also only given a single roll of toilet paper a month. The saying no. was one sheet per day. No, that was that was the saying amongst inmates. That's not enough. That is not enough. That is not enough. Now. You could buy more toilet paper at the commissary, but it was expensive, which did not at all reflect the 30 cents a day salary. Right. You couldn't buy toilet paper and anything else you might need for the money that you were getting Mm -hmm. paid for the jobs that you had to do. Yep. So if you didn't have family sending you money directly, you were shit out of luck. Literally. I'm sorry. Ew. Which is just like, it's another... Poverty discrimination. Mm-hmm. That that you were more fucked if your family didn't have the money to send to you directly. Oh, and, 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 visiting commissary was in a rolling order. So you couldn't just visit any day. You had to wait your time. You had to wait for it to cycle through the whole prison for your commissary day. Oh, man. And the commissary was not always well stocked. So sometimes they were so out of what needed. You needed. And they weren't socked. You were out of luck until your next time rolled around. Which meant even if you had the money for more toilet paper, you might not get more toilet paper. Oh my god. Much of the the food at commissary was meant to be heated. It was stuff like canned soup. But methods of heating food were not available or allowed. Uh, So here's soups that you can only enjoy cold. There you go. Have some cold soup. Or like, um... Like instant coffee, where it was like, literally, I can't even make this if I don't have a way to heat this. Right. You could have instant cold coffee. Right. But like, you'd have to just let it sit in the water for forever. Well, it's if it's instant coffee, it would because... work. But if it's not, if it's regular right. coffee, Right. But I, I mean, like, stuff that, like, basically you needed to heat it and you couldn't. Yeah. You know? And you would want to purchase food at the commissary because... Men regularly went hungry as the food was inadequate. Hmm. And it, it's not just like, oh, prison food is gross. Because you always hear about prison food is gross. But like, it was calorically insufficient. It spent 63 cents a day per person on food. That's $4 a day. That's not enough food. It's not enough food. These are grown ass men. Dang. <laughs> yeah. And I remember um in one of the documentaries that I saw... There was a guy that was describing the food, and he was saying, like, if you had soup that day, it was just broth. Like, if it was chicken soup, there was no chicken in it. If it was bean soup, you would probably find some beans. Oh, man. So, So literally, it was, like, calorically insufficient. It was not enough to fill you or to- Provide basic sustenance. The energy that you needed. Yeah. Damn. And it's like- (laughs) <laughs> you have to treat people like they are better than farm animals. You know, at least farm animals get fucking fed. Well, you treat farm animals better than that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> also, uh, medical treatment was poor. 
basically, you were always treated as if you were faking an illness to try to get out of work. Because that was a thing, you know, that I mean, that's a thing that is a thing no matter where you are. Yeah. For non-prisoners, there are people who are faking illness to get out of work. I've never done that. I don't mm-hmm. know what you're talking about. Sure. Every single time I've had to text my <laughs> boss and be like, I have the cold. I've totally, completely had the cold and didn't just have like mental illness that I wanted to stay in bed and treat all day. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that said, those mental health days are, we need to start counting those as cold days. I, I was specifically <laughs> told to take a mental health day at one point a couple months ago and I was like, okay, I will. Nice. That's valid. Yeah. But like- You were treated as if you were faking it, no matter what you came to the doctor for. Yep. And there was no preventative medicine. Of course not. Why would there be? Because why would there be? Not enough toilet paper, not enough soap. Not enough toilet paper, not enough. And um, treatment for chronic conditions was horrid. There was this story of this guy with kidney disease that couldn't get a medical professional because they were just like jerking him around and he ended up one of his kidneys completely shut down and he had nine percent use of his other kidney oh man and he was not getting medical treatment that's it was it was that's way bad well it's just especially to that specific example like knowing what Mm -hmm. my aunt has been through physically having renal failure like yeah Oh my god, to be in that position yeah. and not be getting medical care like is absurd. Yeah. So basically, um medicine was really just focused on preventing illnesses from breaking out throughout the whole prison. Right. So just keep your disease and with you and everything is fine. We're not going to try and make you better. Yeah. And you know, I've heard stories from modern people in our our day and age Uh, our lifetimes who you know there was a tb breakout on their entire cell block and it was like oh fuck we're all fucked you know uh there was obviously definitely no psych care of course not because why would you want to make sure people are mentally healthy yeah because basically any of the psych employees because they did have some psych employees but they dedicated most of their time to parole hearings right you know and they didn't have any extra psych attendants for, you know, actual... So they didn't have time to hang out with you like, and observe your behavior. They only had time to report on your behavior in meetings that dictated whether or not you'd get parole. Yeah. So, like, no therapy. No, you know, the treatment of mental illnesses, yeah. you know? And dental care was also minimal. Which uh, involved quite a few inmates losing teeth because of lack of care. Yeah, I'm not surprised about that at all. Yeah. Then information coming in and out was highly censored. So this included like personal mail and media. Okay. The only thing that was protected was legal correspondence, like official legal correspondence. Mm -hmm. And that was mandated by court order. Wow. Wow. Like, that wasn't a prison policy. That was, like, constitutionally, you have a right to, like, uninterfered with legal representation. So fuck off that. Oh, man. You know? But, like, your personal mail and and any media that you got access to was highly censored. Oh. And 
Censorship was used for talking about the prison and and stuff that was going on in the prison, for begging for money. Wow. And uh, talking to the press. Or not sticking to your subject. That doesn't make any sense. Which, uh, which was a uh, broadly used vague definition. So basically they would just like actually censor whatever the fuck they felt like. Yeah, that's messed up. Well, and, so that's and, not just what was going in, but what was going out in particular. Mm-hmm. Yep. And beyond that, mail was limited to your immediate family. Which did not include common law spouses. So unless you were married, that was it. Yep. And that limited the exchange of information between poor folks who couldn't afford to get married. Mm. And just were common law married. Which, again, was another poverty discrimination. And again, was another indirect discrimination against people of color. Right. Because those two things go hand in hand often in our country as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and that made it so that more than 20% of the black and Puerto Rican population couldn't communicate with their spouses. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. Then, um, oh, this is bad. So, until 1970, English was the only language even allowed for incoming mail. Holy shit. Which means, before then, letters that were received that were in Spanish were just trashed. Oh. Which meant that 8.7% of the only Spanish-speaking inmates were just fucked. Wow. They couldn't communicate. And even, That's so fucked. Mm-hmm. And then even after 1970, outgoing mail still had to be in English. Damn. Which meant that if you were a Spanish-speaking only inmate, you had to... Learn English. Hopefully. And hope. Or, or hopefully find somebody in your cell block to help you translate so that you could send... Letters to your fucking family. English mail out. Wow. Yeah. And then uh, media, you know, was substantially censored, but it was even more censored when it was intended for Spanish or black audiences. Right. Of course. Because racism. Because racism. Yeah. And then... Oh, my God. Of the prison employees, most were guards or wardens, mm-hmm. like, basically there to keep you in line. Right. All of the custodi- custodial staff was white, except for one Puerto Rican officer. Wow. Only 8% of the prison employees served some kind of rehabilitative role. So teachers, parole officers, psychologists chaplains that's not a very big percentage at all it's not a very big it's almost like uh, they don't care about rehabilitation at all they don't care about rehabilitation at all crazy and then chaplains did not conduct religious services for muslim worshipers even though there were hundreds of muslim worshipers out of the 2300 population that's not surprising to me at all it's not surprising that is still literally an issue in modern American prisons. I yeah, I believe that. Yeah. Um there was a Supreme Court case I think just this last year where oh my god, this was so bad. So they these two Supreme Court cases were decided within a month of each mm-hmm. other. One of them was a Muslim dude 
who I believe was black or um, Middle Eastern of some some sort. He was non-white. Yeah. And he uh, he basically said that he wanted his imam mm-hmm. to be there as his, you know, final religious support right before he was put to death yeah okay that's fair because you're allowed to see a you know like Uh, a a last words religious person Uh and they only had like christian right and and so he he sued for you know religious freedoms to have access to his imam so for his final words which i don't know in a in a world of religious freedoms you think that that people would be really about that incredibly yeah, it feels incredibly reasonable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the Supreme Court decided no. When was this? This was this spring. Jesus Christ. Then uh, within a month of it, within a month of this decision, there was another man who I believe was white, uh-huh. who was Buddhist, and wanted access to his religious final words oh no and they allowed it didn't and they? they allowed it yep oh they said that's that, so fucked yeah and it was like the supreme court just made an unconstitutional constitutional decision and i did the the mm-hmm. meme where the lady does geometry across her head mm-hmm. <sighs> so so yeah the 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 muslim discrimination is still something that exists in modern american prisons well, if it's a white guy wanting to appropriate somebody else's religious culture, it's fine. Yeah. I just, oh my god, I was absolutely disgusted by that. I was like, even our incredibly conservative Supreme Court should be able to at least be behind religious freedom. That should not be a liberal thing. Right. If you're so religious, like, you should... Okay, well, they might not be Christian, but like, yeah, they want to pray to their God with their spiritual leader before they die. As a good Christian, I can get behind that. Like you'd think, right? And and if you're gonna fight for religious freedom, then it has to actually apply. It has to apply. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just I don't understand how we can how we can kill people. I mean, I don't understand how we can kill people, but I don't understand how we can kill people and say, oh, here's your last rights. Oh, no, fuck your religion. You're using ours for your last rights. Yeah. That's, that's extra disgusting dark. on like 70 fucking levels. Yeah. You're right. Oh, it adds another layer of like terrible, doesn't it? It's horrible. It's so horrible. Guys, we're going to get real angry for this entire series, I can assure you. Ugh. <laughs> Yay! Which is why we're going back and forth between like lighter episodes and then the prison industrial complex. <laughs> yeah, because this is a bunch of bullshit. So, so that's that's the conditions of Attica in 1971. Although a lot of them sound kind of really fucking familiar, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah. Yes, they do. And I think we've got time to. We'll talk about like the 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 political climate leading uh-huh. up to the uprising itself. Okay. And then and then we'll stop until next time. Okay, that sounds good. Okay, cool. So keep in mind, this is 1971. All right, 71. We've just finished the 
gigantic political movements of the 50s and 60s. Mm-hmm. We're still doing it. We're still fighting the Vietnam War. We're yeah. still um, the the Black Panthers have not been entirely like shut down by the FBI. There's still a Black Power movement. There's still yeah. a lot of po- politics in the air in the yeah. early 70s. You know, it hasn't mm-hmm. been totally destroyed yet. And so, and so that's a background that's just there. Mm-hmm. Also. Violent crime was actually on the rise in the 60s and 70s. Interesting. Okay. So so remember how I was talking about serial killers with you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, I think that there was something going on, but I also think that there was a policing thing. Right, yeah. Violent yeah. crime in general actually was on the rise in the 60s Interesting. and 70s. And it rose all the way up until it peaked in the 90s, and then it's been going down ever since. Like, like, sharp decline So, is there, like, a prevailing theory as to why that is? I have one theory, and it's horrible, but it's actually a potential theory. What? And it's not a bad theory. It's just like, oh, shit. Roe v. Wade. Okay. So, Roe v. Wade was, was decided in 1973, if I recall. Okay. Mm-hmm. I'm not 100% Google it if you're not sure. But I'm pretty sure it was 1973. And basically, the theory is... Children that would have grown up to be criminals were aborted. Now, the reason that that's not horrible is because if you think about unwanted children, if you think about children born into poverty, if you think about children born into unsavory situations, yeah, you know, abusive households or or situations where what, raising a child is a bad decision, those yeah. are the kids that are going to grow up to be criminal. I don't think that's a bad thing at all. I, not, I was covering my mouth like, yeah. oh, damn, that makes a ton of sense. Like, yeah. So, like, basically, it's a theory that's like, oh, man, that's political as fuck. And you're going to make some people real angry saying that. Yeah. But it's a theory that's a really good theory. Yeah, it is. That, you know, basically allowing women to control their bodies in deciding whether or not they are ready to bring a human being into this world has decreased our criminal population. Woo! <laughs> Just like, oh, oh well, yeah, I guess that does make sense, doesn't it? <laughs> blah, 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 abortion theory. Yeah. yeah, so that's basically the only theory that I am aware of um, for why crime went up and then went back down, uh, you know, around the 90s. Right, we had a population boom after World War II. Mm-hmm. And then, and then abortion was was de- was legalized. Yeah, and so then women were able to make decisions about whether and or not breed they were fewer criminal ready babies. and willing cool. to create a human being. Yep. Nice, yeah, love it. Yeah, it's almost like I don't know. Having wanted children is better than having unwanted children. <laughs> it almost Weird. seems that way, doesn't it? Go figure. <laughs> we're we're gonna throw a lot of hot takes that are actually really fucking obvious in this yep. series. Really, just kind of lukewarm, <laughs> lukewarm takes <laughs> that are only hot to like the fucking I don't know Congress, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh, pew, 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 pew. okay. I'm so sorry. Anyway, <laughs> you don't look sorry. I'm not sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like I'm like a little sorry that I that I air horned and 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 that's it. I'm not sorry for my hot takes. Oh, that was an air horn. Okay. I'm not sorry for my lukewarm takes. <laughs> Your lukewarm takes. <sighs> so yeah, um 
crime. Oh, okay. The other the other thing that was like it's not really like a political event so much mm-hmm. as like kind of the the climate of the okay. time. The opinion on plea deals, especially among the prison population, was that was really very negative. Okay. And and this is a complicated thing, especially coming from a lawyer's perspective. So so plea deals were viewed as kind of like this sneaky bad deal that people were coerced into taking. Mm-hmm. And and coercing somebody into a plea deal is bad. I will gladly Right. I'll 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 step up to the plate for that one. Another lukewarm take from Alexandria Young Ray. Yeah. Attorney but, at law. <laughs> attorney at law. But um they they also did technically make it so that people who were committing the same crime, they were they mm-hmm. were doing the exact same thing, received wildly different sentences. Oh, okay. And and that actually, you know, like those two things bring a lot of validity to this. Yeah. That said, I, they they kind of thought that it was like, oh my god, it's complicated. Drink. There there was this this belief that the plea deals were just to clear up the court system because it was overfilled, you know. Right. Because we just didn't have the time and money for the court system. And that is true. One of the reasons for plea deals is to take some of the effort off of the court. Right. That said... <sighs> Isn't the purpose, though, so that, like, if it's something that clearly isn't really worth the court's time, you can do a plea deal so that, like, mm-hmm. yeah. you're not, like, because and, and it's not as big of an offense or because it's not a big a deal, like, you shouldn't be wasting the time doing that? Well, there's a lot of reasons for a plea deal. And, and one of them is, like, if it's a crime with a victim, you don't have to re-traumatize the victim by making them come and take the stand. Right. And that's separate from the criminal's perspective. That's a that's yeah. a societal impact kind of a thing. But another thing is juries tend to not be very lenient. Right. Okay. Like if you are gonna go to trial, you better be damn sure that you can prove that you didn't do the thing. Or else a jury is gonna fuck you over more. Yeah, because juries are not down with being lenient on prisoners. Yeah. Or sorry, on defendants. Fuck. Freud called. He wants his slip and slide back. Ah. <laughs> and so, you know, there's the there's the exhausted, overworked defense attorney angle to this where it's like, you know, poverty sucks and makes it hard for everybody because mm-hmm. a defense attorney is just not going to have the time and energy to fight a potentially winnable trial. Right. But, you know, I, I know a lot of public defenders and they work their ass off. And a lot of times, if you clearly did the crime, mm-hmm. getting you a plea deal actually is the best thing best, they can do for you. Yeah, it is the best way to get you a lighter sentence because juries are not going to find you not guilty unless you are really fucking not guilty. You know? Yeah. yeah. And that's a thing. And it's complicated, especially when you bring in race and poverty. Because, yeah. again, it's really common to get a white jury of your peers for a black person or a rich jury of your peers for, for, your, a, poor for a poor person or an old jury of your peers for a young person, you know? And None of those seem very peer-like. Yeah, exactly. And, and so, it, you know, it's complicated, it's complicated, it's complicated. And these are just sort of like societal issues 
mm-hmm. that there's not really an actual solution to. It's just a valid issue that exists. You yeah. Know? Mm-hmm. I mean, okay, there are absolutely like solutions to having all white juries convicting black people. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know, get a few fucking black people to sit on your goddamn jury. But, you know, other things like <sighs> the fact that juries are generally speaking more hard on defendants than plea deals that's just a societal thing well that makes sense right it's that whole like pack mentality and again like Mm -hmm. if you're on a jury you're gonna see yourself as part of the justice system because i guess Mm -hmm. you kind of are and you're gonna like be like fuck this they acted out like they acted against the whole get them yep yeah and um and i think that we're gonna talk about this a lot more when we get into the series but society, it's not just Congress, it's not just politicians, but society, you know, the, the pack mentality of voters yeah. are tough on crime. Yeah. And so, of course, juries who are supposed to be made up of average citizens are, gonna be are tough on crime. Tough on crime. Yep. And that means that they're going to be pretty anti-defendant. Which is super late. But that said... Uh, the opinion, especially within prisons, on plea deals was incredibly negative. Because right. So not just the popu- not just the public, but in- potential inmates saw, mm-hmm. saw it negatively as well. Yeah, and and it there was some validity when when you're looking at two different people doing the exact same crime getting wildly different sentences. Right. That is fucked up. Yeah, and, and so like basically like there's this big social implication. That's mm-hmm. complicated. complicated. And then there's the individual implication. Which is also complicated. complicated. <laughs> yes. In a different way. Yay, it's double complicated. Drink <laughs> it's twice. Double complicated. Drink twice. <laughs> then, you know, uh, we kind of already talked about this, but yada yada race and poverty mm-hmm. adds more complications to this whole political climate. And then um, us just being out of the 60s. Mm-hmm. Which, you know, I talked about generally, like, you know, we just came out of the 60s, but also in Attica prison, mm-hmm. more than 80% of the population of Attica in 1971 had arrived there in 1965 or later. Okay. And these men tended to be more politically minded and willing to question authority. Right. That also makes sense. They came in from these political movements that were going on in our society and they came in and they were thinking politically and they were teaching their fellow men political Mm -hmm. thoughts. There's a lot of actual really amazing political activists and political leaders that wrote their fucking magnum opuses from prison. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we're about to talk to one, talk about one, but it's a really sad way to end this episode. Yay. (laughs) So, August 21st, 1971, which was really, really shortly before the uprising occurred. Mm-hmm. In San Quentin Prison in California, a gun tower guard killed George Jackson during an alleged escape attempt. Mm-hmm. Now, George da- Jackson was a revolutionary writer and activist mm-hmm. who had been dealing with the prison system both personally and revolutionarily and through his life's work. Okay, meaning that he was trying to get other people, like... Um, so he was arrested for a robbery that he actually may not have done. That's actually speculated about really? as well. Yeah, 
it's one huh. of those like racism and poverty things right, where okay. you're like, did he even do this? But oh, he was he was encouraged to plea to take a plea deal mm-hmm. um, because he already had two charges for minor petty thefts, mm-hmm. and um, the plea deal was one year to life. Yeah. How is that even deal. a thing? One year to life? Like, we can, you can be here for know. a year or yeah. fuck you as long as we want. So this was in, I believe, the early 60s when he was 18. <sighs> and he spent 18 years in prison. Just Holy chilling. shit. And he became a revolutionary from prison. And he wrote the Soledad Brothers, I believe, okay. which were these letters that he sent out of prison that, that later got published. Uh-huh. And, and he was basically... You know, he was a he was a black revolutionary activist mm-hmm. who spent all of his activist life in prison. behind bars. Okay, and there was some other complicated stuff that was going on. I wasn't going to go into this, but I might as well because I might as well. Basically, because he had become an activist, mm-hmm. the prison guards kind of started looking at him, side eyeing him, right, and. I don't remember the exact date that all of this went down, but basically some prison guards gunned down some inmates, mm-hmm. and then later a prison guard was beaten to death. Okay. And him and three other men were charged with that murder. Okay. But most people don't think that he did it. Okay. Most people think that he was charged with the murder because the prison guards knew him to be a troublemaker, quote unquote. Right. And so they wanted to take him down. Mm-hmm. And so he was kind of in and out of the court system. And there was this really, really tragic story with his younger brother, who was mm-hmm. 17, who actually brought in a bunch of firearms to a courthouse for one of these trials for oh, the, no. that murder. And he actually was able to help some people escape, but he was gunned down when he, you know, while he was doing this. So he was trying to help prisoners escape from the courthouse. Mm-hmm. And it was th- this man's name was Jonathan Jackson, mm-hmm. George Jackson's younger brother. And what George Jackson wrote about him was uh, he was free for a while, and that's more than most of us can ask. Wow. I got chills. <laughs> and I'm the one that said the quote. But yeah, that was just like a really painful thing. Mm-hmm. So So basically, most people especially most prisoners Mm -hmm. don't think that he was lawfully gunned down, but instead think that he was framed and murdered. Mm -hmm. And so this is August 21st, 1971. So shortly after this event, uh, the inmates of Attica held a protest, which was a silent fast and a sit-in. It was a nonviolent protest, but it freaked out the staff. Yeah, I'm sure it did. So that's that's what we're looking at before September 9th, 1971, mm-hmm. when the Attica Uprising officially starts. Okay. That's exciting. I'm really, like, nervous. I want to <laughs> so, know what's going to happen. I'm sitting here playing with my hair like a five-year-old. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> it's, it's really... It's... It's a wild story. There's a little bit of hope in there. There's a little bit of beauty. There is a lot of tragedy. It's painful. It's a painful story. 
But yeah. I mean, we are a horror and true crime po- podcast, and I can't think of anything that is more true crime than fucking the American prison system. Oh dear. <laughs> You signed up for this, listeners, and so did I. You signed up for this. Y'all wanted a true crime podcast? We're bringing you a fucking true crime podcast. (laughs) Oh, dear. Okay. But yeah. That's some all bullshit. That's episode one of the Attica Prison Uprising. Cool. All right. Not cool. Tune in next time. I don't know if we'll have the next Attica episode next or if we'll have like a breather episode that's a little lighter. But, you know, you like surprises, right? But we'll have something. We'll have something for you. And Attica 2 will come soon enough. Just, you know. Hold your horses. Hold your horses. <laughs> and uh, sign off stuff. Social media. At Palm Pitch Pod for everything. <laughs> Cast Junkie Discord. <laughs> yeah, we're always at Palm Pitch Pod. If you like us, rate and review us. Hit us up. Yeah, we want to hear from you. We're very talk and I get so much joy when people say they like us. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you really like us, you can donate to our Patreon, which is also at Pompage Pod. Yes. Patreon. We just bought Sunshine a new charge cord. Thanks, everybody. Patreon money. So, And I bought a book for... The prison industrial complex research. So your Ooh, money books are the is best. being well spent. Yeah, <laughs> man, it's not my money, but I'd be happy to have my money being spent on your books. Money for <laughs> books or podcasts, beautiful. Yeah. Books are important. <sighs> All right. Does everybody feel exhausted after that? Yes. Go drink, because it's complicated. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Love you. Bye. Love you. Bye.